Nadia Halim, this is your mixtape. Let's call it Dramatic Fantasies. My guest today is Nadia Halim. Nadia is one of those people who seems to know everybody, a real bridge between communities, a node in multiple social networks. She organizes interesting events that bring people together. For example, psychogeographic group walks around unexplored corners of Toronto, her home city. So I was surprised when she spoke to me if being an isolated child who was never properly socialized until college. I've known Nadia for eight years, yet her past was always a little mysterious to me. About the only thing I knew for sure was that she grew up around Ottawa. Where did you grow up? Am I correct? <laughs> Ottawa? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Michael. I was actually born in Winnipeg. Oh. Uh, we moved a- around a lot when I was a kid and wound up in a small town in the Ottawa Valley for most of my childhood from like kindergarten. Basically, th- all-, all through elementary school, we were in Carleton Place, Ontario. Uh, and then we moved to Ottawa. So... Mm-hmm. Right. So what kind of a place was the Ottawa Valley when you were young? Uh, like a different world yeah, <laughs> that, nobody so? else, that nobody else remembers. It was it was a bit of a shock moving there uh, when I was five or so because um, I am, I'm mixed race. My mother is from the Netherlands. My father's from Bangladesh. Uh, they met and got married in the Netherlands and then they moved to Canada in the late 1960s. Uh, and then again, there was a lot of moving around and then there was me uh, and then they bought a house in Carlton Place, which still, I mean, as is still the case in in some small town, ta- small Ontario towns, you can get a house in Ontario. In, in <laughs> you can get like a large house there for what you know a uh, one room condo in Toronto would cost you. So um, they got a fixer upper in this in this small town and put down roots there for a while. Uh, but it was it was not a place that was welcoming to outsiders. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or to people who were not white, <laughs> to people who were a little strange and liked to read, which I already did by yeah. the time I was starting uh, kindergarten. Uh, I was bullied a fair bit and was uh, not really, I, although I am not really a shy person by nature, I was very shy as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. very, very socially withdrawn until really until I hit university, uh, because my experience with with fellow students was kind of hostile. <laughs> well, sure. That actually kind of begins to answer my next question, which is, what were you like as a kid? So I have this picture of you arriving in a uh, small town, Ottawa Valley, you know, not white, an outsider, uh, a bookworm, not necessarily shy, but sort of pushed into shyness mm-hmm. by the cold and unwelcoming sort of nature of your situation there. So um does, is that an accurate picture or, or is there more to say about what you were like when you were, let's say, 15 and under? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty accurate. Nerdy. <laughs> uh, but definitely a book nerd and not not a math nerd. Yeah, I mean, I did have some friends in, you know, in that place. And uh, there were there were there were upsides. Uh so, and, and this is what I was thinking about when we, I'm sort of leaping ahead and thinking about your question about uh, music at the time. Well, sure. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that very shortly, okay. but do go on. Um, I did like school. Uh, it was not, 
because I wasn't really being socialized with the mm-hmm. other kids, uh, I had very little interest in sort of presenting myself in a way that was normal. Like I was, I wasn't really like picking up on what the right shoes were or anything because I was basically right. like <laughs> out of the loop for that anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was kind of a nerdy kid in glasses and clothes that my mom sewed herself often. <laughs> yeah. So something that I was conceptualizing when I was starting up this podcast mm-hmm. was how music is really socially important, especially to children, how they use it as sort of a tribal identifier, as sort of a sorting device. You're, you're cool or you're not cool based on the music you like, and mm-hmm. certain sub-communities will sort of identify themselves with music, sometimes quite strongly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're a goth, you have to like goth music. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a cheerleader, you have to like pop music or, or, or boy bands or, or whatever. All these stupid stereotypes that we see rehearsed in Hollywood films and everything, but that actually really do sort of spring from the ground <laughs> in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. Um, now, the first song that you selected for us is... Um, uh, a Pete Seeger tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to imagine that ne- that wasn't necessarily something that the kids around you were into, or or was it? No, no. And this is interesting because, again, I was kind of really just out of the loop in terms of what the other kids were listening to or what they were doing. They were kind of like an alien race that I had been plonked in among, <laughs> but didn't really <laughs> communicate with very much. Uh, and so what I was listening to was the collection of about six or eight vinyl records that my parents owned. Um, The way that I experienced music uh, when I was a kid uh, Mm -hmm. is another reason why I kind of feel like I grew up um, (laughs) in an earlier age that no one else remembers because, yeah, my parents had about eight vinyl records. um, And my parents, I have to say, are about as disinterested in music as anyone I've ever met. <laughs> oh, wow. Neither of them has any interest in music, really at all. My dad may be slightly more than my mother, but they would never buy an album or, you know, have a band that they liked. Or, and they, they were, you know, as I, as I got older and, and actually got into music, they were kind of, especially my mom, just baffled by what the appeal would be, <laughs> what I was on about. So they owned these they owned these records, I remember. And the records were, uh, one of them was my mom had gone in uh, with one of my aunts and bought, uh, they had bought together the uh, the concert for Bangladesh, which was a, a fundraising <laughs> album. It had, I think, four discs in it. And two of them were uh, rock and roll. And then one of them was the Sitar album. And mm-hmm. uh, my aunt Carla got the rock and roll discs. And my mom got the Sitar album, which she never played. And then there was a bunch of, of Gordon Lightfoot. And I I wembled between the Pete Seeger and the Gordon Lightfoot for a long time because it was like a bunch of Gordon Lightfoot and a bunch of Pete Seeger. And those were – and my parents had um, a portable mono turntable that they had brought over with them on the boat from Holland when they immigrated to Canada in the late 60s on a boat. <laughs> wow. And that was what we had. And I would sit there and listen to these records on this turntable. And I absolutely loved them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I remember once when I was really little, like some of the kids from the neighborhood, I was friends with some of the kids in the neighborhood uh, and a couple of little boys came over and we were all listening to these Gordon Lightfoot records and we were listening to Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald was on one of them. Uh, And when it finished, you know, one of the little boys was like, can we can we hear the one about the little ship that sank again? Can we hear that one? And I was like, it's actually a really big ship. And he was like, I want to hear the one about the little ship that sank again. So it was so it was really this kind of like old school. I had very little sense of, of, 
music as, as something that was happening in the outside world. And the other thing I thought of when I was trying to think of music in my childhood was, again, very small town, and uh, there would be these events for kids at the library, uh, and they would say that they were going to have musical entertainment. And for at least a couple of years there, I remember the musical entertainment was always this one teenage girl with an acoustic guitar and uh, chicken pox scars on her face that I was completely fascinated by as a six-year-old. And the only song she knew was One Tin Soldier. <laughs> So, so I remember like <laughs> sitting cross-legged in a circle of like 10 kids while this teenage girl played One Tin Soldier again. <laughs> and it was, and so An re- annual tradition. <laughs> exactly. I have a strong memory of that one song. But yeah, so there was a lot of folk. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I know that you have a brother. He's younger? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you were really having to sort of chart your own course there if your parents were disinterested in music and you sort of you know, were a little bit of an eccentric amongst the neighborhood kids, like, and you didn't have any older siblings, Mm -hmm. uh, you really sort of just had to take what you found, I guess. There was sort of no guiding light for you. (laughs) There's there's no internet. There's radio, but it's basically CBC. We got like three channels on TV, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was black and white. (laughs) Like I said, it was kind of like, you know, growing up and it was, it was, Technically, an earlier an earlier century it was the last sure. century. Yeah, so it was very yeah, and and yet at the same time, I remember, like I said, you know these these few folk albums that we had, like that Pete Seeger record. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved, like I loved those songs, and I would listen yeah. to them over and over. <laughs> so the song you selected is Guantanamera. After he died, people put it to a popular tune. Guantanamera. Guajira, Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma so I'm going to confess something um, that I did not know the song very well. I mean, I was obviously aware of it because it's one of those songs that you just know. But uh, prior to uh, getting this podcast together, I always thought it was uh, like a fun novelty track. Like it was some <laughs> sort of Latin exploitation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the version that you sent me has him sort of explaining the song in the middle, well, at, at the beginning, before he begins, and That's then right, he sort yeah. of pauses and does a spoken interlude, translating some of the Spanish lyrics to English. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it, it made me a little verklempt. Um, mm-hmm. It's its quite earnest and political. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and I can remember when I um, mentioned it to uh, my husband, uh, he was like, oh, she must have had really political parents. She must have <laughs> had like a red diaper, like a communist baby, <laughs> like... Uh, is that the case? Uh, like, w- were your parents political? And-, and was that why they had the few records they had were sort of the real sort of lefty uh, protest folk? Uh, was that the case? Or? That's funny. No, I mean, my parents yeah. were not politically involved at all. But I mean, their political orientation, my mom, you know, came from a very liberal uh, Dutch uh, family. And, you know, my dad had had emigrated from Bangladesh. And, and you know, they were... It was still considered uh, fairly outré <laughs> yeah. for them to be a mixed race couple at the time. Mm-hmm, I mean, they they mm-hmm. actually encountered some, you know, a fair bit of like pushback in the Netherlands when they got married. Although not from my mom's family, who have always been really great. Um, 
but yeah, it was that was still something that would have raised eyebrows at the time where they were from. So they were, I mean, they were sort of, I think, always self-identified as lefties, but not in the sense that I remember them actually. I mean, again, we lived in a small town and you'd have to drive to Ottawa <laughs> to yeah. actually get involved with anything. Uh, and I, I don't remember them really, you know, being being involved um, in that kind of thing at the time. But but I mean, it did certainly, you know, uh, we had uh, Strangers and Cousins, which uh, the, the Pete Seeger album, which fascinated me, which I think that that track might be off of. I can't remember if it's that one. It was there were Strangers and Cousins. And then there was um, We Shall Overcome, which was his uh, concert for civil rights at Carnegie Hall. Um, and Strangers and Cousins was his album of songs that he had learned uh, while touring the world. Um And I think what I I mean, what I really glommed onto as a kid and, you know, you making me think about this has been making me think about like how did that shape what I was interested in afterwards mm-hmm. and how did it shape you know what I what I liked about music um and all of those songs like the Pete Seeger songs um and also the uh Gordon Lightfoot songs were I mean they're very it was kind of the 70s 70s folk was kind of a great way to be introduced to music as a kid at that time because a lot of it was almost like children's music <laughs> even yeah stuff I mean for adults uh- my my completely incorrect perception of Guantanamo Mera was that it it kind of was like a children's song. It's it's bouncy <laughs> and has a sing along chorus, you know. Like. Well, the thing is, I think it is often performed that way, and that's why you know, as an adult, that's something I actually really appreciate about the Pete Seeger version is that he does give you, you know, he starts out by identifying who wrote this song, what it's actually about, what it was meant, you know, to to express, rather than, you know, it's not like it's not like a sort of uh, novelty pop song, um, right. And uh, but what I liked about that song and the Gordon Lightfoot songs and songs in general, even One Tin Soldier, was that they had uh, this strong sense of narrative. So um, even One Tin America, because, it, you know, he gives you the translations in English. I couldn't understand the Spanish, obviously, but it was like, oh, there's a, you know, there's a story here and there's a backstory. And that's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, and also often, I mean, the fact that it's a song that is in Spanish and I can't understand, they were also stories that as a child I couldn't quite understand or there mm-hmm. seemed to be like layers going on that were um, not accessible to me and that was fascinating because it meant they had the, this this mysterious quality you know yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right uh, I feel like it's probably a good time to move on to the next one was there anything else about Pete Seeger Guantanamera your childhood <laughs> that you might like to mention that we didn't get to <laughs> yeah I think we kind of covered it I mean yeah it was it was melodic it was it was it was narrative and it was melodic and I feel mm-hmm. like those are things you know it was a kind of like sing-along songs uh, for kids and I think that sort of simple um, the simple melody like the the appeal of melody and the appeal of narrative are things mm-hmm. that kind of stuck with me after that for sure and also just really <laughs> liking music that was not cool because i liked it <laughs> <laughs> all right well we're going to move on to your next selection which okay. is to reflect your teen years mm-hmm. and we have a track by duran duran called <laughs> new moon on monday <laughs> Yeah. Did I mention I was a teenager in the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we did not know before, we definitely know now.
um, to go from Pete Seeger to basically a boy band, um, that's a really big <laughs> shift uh, in the idea of what music is for, you know, mm-hmm. a sort of political statement versus entertainment, mm-hmm. sort of something that's um, challenging the establishment versus something that is very much of the establishment. Were these sort of, is, is that a fair comparison for me to make? <laughs> or was this something that was going on with you at the time? Or, I mean, you just ended off talking about the, the strongly melodic nature of the yeah. Pete Seeger track, which mm-hmm. totally, like, Duran Duran is all about strong melodies. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I mean, remember that when I was, you know, glomming onto Pete Seeger, I was like six years old. So I wasn't, the, the political, the fact that it was like <laughs> profoundly political is not what I was, what I was attaching myself to there. I was really Fair not, <laughs> I was really not that precocious of a child. Uh, it was, it was just, you know, I, I was just hearing melody and I was hearing story and that I thought that mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, so then what happened is in quick succession, mm-hmm. I, we moved to Ottawa and I hit puberty and much music went on air. Awesome. Three big events. <laughs> and so my little pubescent self started mm-hmm. watching music videos and my tiny mind was completely blown. <laughs> it was, Absolutely. And still, I mean, I think like 80s music videos hold a really special place in my heart and <laughs> were extremely formative to my development. And this is why I had such a hard time choosing a song for this category because this was the time when I was just like obsessed with all the bands and sure. trying to see all the videos and it was a real highlight of my life. <laughs> and yeah, and there was Duran Duran and I I you know as 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 a uh, as a teenage girl just <laughs> they appealed to me in the way that they appealed to most teenage girls of that era. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um like <laughs> sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> i was i was going to ask if you had a crush on any of the members of the band i but... think like oh yeah absolutely in a kind of like fuzzy unformed way it was like nick uh john and simon and in, in a kind of you know floating rotation <laughs> they were all you know like simon was the charismatic front man nick was the smart one john was the kind of nice one whose real name was nigel <laughs> and they were all like to me i, I thought they were like ama- like beautiful and had this amazing cool 80s hair and their outfits and everything like that i have much more to say on this but oh absolutely there, do, you, do you have a question that <laughs> no please, well uh i mean <laughs> i was like i, was, I do I was like, but i would like you to keep talking <laughs> I, I was like i'm just gonna charge ahead on this but maybe i should please see do. if michael wants me to like focus uh, on anything my, 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 my next question was going to be and you mm-hmm. can answer this now or we can put a pin in it and come mm-hmm. back to it mm-hmm. is why new moon on monday <laughs> uh, which is a new one to me like oh, i know really? duran duran's okay like most popular you know i know mm-hmm. rio and hungry like the wolf and what have you but um i'm a little bit younger and mm-hmm. duran duran was basically uh just just over when i sort of achieved musical mm-hmm. awareness mm-hmm. um so i i only really know the the real big hits so i wasn't familiar with this one oh, so really? i was wondering okay. why you chose this one i watched the music video and yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean i was sort of trying to and it was it's as much um for this era about the video as about the song like mm-hmm. it's it's very much about the video and their videos were all uh these crazy utterly over the top like when you think of 80s music videos this is probably what you're thinking of like ridiculous adventure stories that made no sense uh always filmed in exotic settings there yeah, was yeah. um like there was uh rio which was filmed in rio and then there was uh hungry like the wolf the <laughs> racially problematic one set in sri lanka <laughs> and then there was uh wild boys which was the kind of like mad max thunderdome one and then there was new moon on monday where they're like the band is some kind of mysterious um 
resistance movement in a uh, unnamed small European town <laughs> where, they, where they're like uh, conspiring against the fascist government, uh, and all of this happens in like uh, six seconds. Although for this or six minutes, although for this video there is a twenty-minute version that I wanted wow. to see so hard when I was fifteen, and I finally got to see it when I was like thirty because it was on YouTube, and I no longer cared as much. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's a short film. Like... Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there yeah. were there was an enormous amount of thought that went into these videos. Um, and an so, enormous budget. <laughs> yeah, enormous budget. They were a really big production deal. And I just loved them, you know, because they were they were like just unhinged and imaginative and <laughs> surreal and uh, just again uh, there was this sense of a story that didn't make sense because we didn't have all of the pieces and mm-hmm. so that made it kind of mysterious and what was going on <laughs> and why were they there and what was this you know conspiracy that they were part of I mean oh the 80s Fantasia right mm. um, so I'm chuckling a little bit because yeah, yeah. I was just watching Blade Runner uh, uh-huh. again which is one of my all time favorite films I love that movie um, yeah. yeah and um, I was listening to a podcast where people were talking about it, and they talked about one of the things that is sort of great about it that people really catch on to is that it does a great job suggesting the existence of a larger world mm, without really mm-hmm. filling in the details. And mm-hmm. it's it's really funny to me to sort of think about how the Duran Duran videos kind of are doing the same trick as you described them. Mm, there's, mm-hmm. there's sort of a slice of a larger world, and you're aware that the world expands beyond the margins of the video. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. There was a, a concert uh, tour documentary movie about Duran Duran made uh, mm-hmm. like about 10 years ago or something by David Lynch. Wow. So <laughs> there's that connection of, of surreal narrative. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, yeah, my I forget God. what it's called, and I haven't seen it yet, but yeah. So why, why this track in particular? Particular, I think was I guess was this the track, I mean yeah. again I had a hard time narrowing it down mm-hmm. and I really basically it could have been any of their tracks I went with one that in fact uh, part of my rationale for picking it was maybe not as many people had seen the video and Hungry Like yeah, the Wolf yeah. is the one that freaking everybody has seen um, mm-hmm. so uh, and it's I think I think it's a pretty good one it also has like it has the coolest of Simon's video girlfriends she's actually like on a motorbike and she's part of the <laughs> part of the uh, the movement and whatnot awesome <laughs> yeah it's got some excellent like like pre-cgi special effects with the the lightning bolt hitting the kite and stuff (laughs) so i'm I'm imagining here now you've moved Mm -hmm. from the little town in the ottawa valley you've moved into Mm -hmm. ottawa proper Mm -hmm. which while i understand ottawa has a reputation for being a bit of a snooze it is Mm -hmm. you know a a larger city (laughs) yeah it is actually uh, a city (laughs) it is actually a city and it's full of you know white collar like like people who have like university educations and there are two major universities in the town Mm -hmm. and like i'm i'm sure it was a bit more racially diverse Mm -hmm. and uh, well (laughs) i mean well i mean it was a low bar to clear right (laughs) exactly (laughs) but uh, you know more than where you came from Mm -hmm. um and so I'm just imagining you as a teenager um, going to the high school, um, liking Duran Duran. Um, was was this popular with your social circle? Um, the people uh, around you? <laughs> yeah, that's that was sort of weird. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I mean, the thing is, I was coming out of uh, this this background where I had been really bullied and not socialized. So it took me a long time to figure out how to be a social person. And mm-hmm. that didn't really happen in high school. <laughs> well, I was still trying to I was still trying to work it out. So I was still pretty uh, isolated um, mm-hmm. socially and just not, you know, kind of a misfit. Um, 
But I went to, uh, I actually went to uh, Canterbury High School, a high school of the arts. I was in an arts program for visual arts, strangely Mm -hmm. enough. (laughs) And I was part of the first year. um, It it was, the high school had existed for like, you know, 20 or 30 years, but this was the first year of the arts program. So I was like one of the Mm -hmm. guinea pigs uh, in the first year going through. (laughs) So it was kind of a, you know, like as high school's go it was not the worst high school to you know fetch up in as a weird misfit kid mm-hmm. uh i was certainly not the only one <laughs> in that school um so yeah it probably could have been a lot worse <laughs> yeah but i was still i was still you know eating lunch by myself most of the time oh. i was still pretty <laughs> not, not very not very socially well adjusted yet but at least i got to you know I, the arts program was um was kind of cool i got to do a lot of drawing in class um, now I I'm just, just thinking if you went to like an arts high school, perhaps perhaps this was too mainstream for your peers. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was not it was not cool to like Duran Duran. It was kind of dorky. <laughs> there were oh, other really? kids who did. Oh yeah, you huh. know, there's the 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 kids in my school are probably like you know into better bands <laughs> like the Violent. <laughs> Fe- I remember like the, there there were a lot of kids into like the Violent Femmes and and I don't remember who else specifically. There were kids who were uh, what other bands that were actually good in the eighties kids oh, in my man. high school were actually listening to. But again, I mean, mm-hmm. this was still at a time when, uh, I wasn't really aware of college radio. There was some good like university radio happening in Ottawa at the time, I'm sure. But if you mm-hmm. wanted to hear a band that wasn't in heavy rotation on much music or, um, or the mainstream radio in Ottawa, you really had to like have a friend who knew where the good record store was and get out to that yeah. record store and buy the records and stuff like that. And I just was mm-hmm. not, <laughs> I, was, I was too gormless at that point to Aww. have that kind of initiative. So I was, and I was also just like utterly enthralled by what I was seeing on much music at the time. So, sure. um, there's and, a lot to like about Duran Duran. I don't think you need to apologize for that. <laughs> well, and again, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just them. There was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, Nick Kershaw and <laughs> Human League and all, all uh, those bands with their awesome. crazy videos with, you know, random ninjas. and. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to be a teenager in the 80s, you might as well go for it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, in the same way that the 70s, in a lot of ways, was a great era to be a child because there was a lot of the culture was very child friendly. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, some of it. Um, uh, the 80s was an awesome decade to be a teenager in because it was a very, there was a lot of teen culture happening and, you know, it was, <laughs> like it or not, it was, it, was it, it, had, it had a real personality as a decade, let's put Absolutely. it that way. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. There's a reason we keep reviving it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe we should dwell on Duran Duran in high school a little <laughs> bit longer. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they were they were just ridiculous. Uh, They Mm -hmm. had they they their lyrics make no sense at all. (laughs) Yeah, I brought up the lyrics for this while I was listening to it so that I could take some notes. And I could not tell you what this song is about. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And again, I kind of thought that was fun. I mean, and I remember like the sort of there was this cultural movement from that to like uh is it backstreet boys like the boy bands yeah new kids on the, the block like, would be the missing link yeah, there yeah new kids yeah and and there's and i just remember that stuff coming out and that was like a little bit past my time uh and looking at that and being like this is are you fucking kidding me like this is so <laughs> boring like we've gone yeah. from you know thunderdome and crazy hair and these wild lyrics to you like i want it that way <laughs> yeah. a bunch of bunch of dudes 
dudes in in denim jackets crooning mm. and i was just like i i there's nothing for me here i don't like what uh, <laughs> i don't you, understand you selected the one backstreet boys song where the video was very formative to my sexuality and i'm sure lots of lots of other gay guys my age but in general i agree with your point uh there is something that is um very uh ambitious and uh imaginative about duran duran yeah, which exactly. is kind of missing from their 90s counterparts <laughs> somewhat i mean you know a couple of those backstreet boys videos were you know the one that sat on the big space station where okay. like they all I have sci-fi I've even stuff seen that one i think oh, it might have been, like past my, my time and and yeah I should oh check yeah that would out. be about the year 99 maybe yeah, 2000 okay. so. oh yeah yeah that was way after yeah. i had it's kind of like lost touch yeah. with the, the video scene at that point yeah yeah no there's there's definitely okay. some some ones that are sort of technicolor <laughs> fantasias mm-hmm. um but, but it's also yeah. i mean mm-hmm. it's just like that that whole concept of making music videos that way was really an 80s thing and it just like oh, yeah. died at, you know the, the stroke of 1990 practically you know? <laughs> <laughs> and in a way you know i mean I, I i feel i still feel that the that that shift from the 80s to the 90s was one of the cruelest bait and shifts in the history of oh. like recent pop culture because <laughs> you're a teenager growing up in the 80s and you're like man being an adult is gonna be awesome there's gonna yeah. be like these clothes and these clubs and you know girly drinks with little umbrellas in them and adventure mm-hmm. and and then you know the 90s happened and it was like this reaction to the last 30 years where <laughs> all the have, fun like, is not cool anymore like, fun is not cool we're minimalists yeah <laughs> we're oh, all minimalists man. now <laughs> so, so grunge just rolled in like a big dark cloud huh <laughs> so disappointing <laughs> Oh, you were promised one future and then, Mm. you know, you got given a different one. Oh, so, so true. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a good segue, I think, to our next selection, Mm -hmm. which is Matthew Sweet, Devil with the Green Eyes. Yes. So we we just spoke about how um, the mood of sort of pop culture got real serious in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, the the sort of the big promise of the eighties went away, and fun wasn't cool anymore, and colors got more muted, mm-hmm. and you were supposed to be kind of unsmiling and ironic and blah 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, how does this Matthew Sweet track? fit into that or not um because i'm not familiar with this track uh and it does it does it's very melodramatic (laughs) oh yeah well see once again i feel like this is a through line i mean you have there's a lot of drama and narrative (laughs) once Mm -hmm. again the music that i liked was consistently very um i had this kind of uh 
euphoric uh, ecstatic I'm looking I'm looking for a specific word uh there's there's, there's a very like heightened emotional register mm-hmm. <laughs> to the music that I like still uh well, I mean, you know m- maybe romantic in the sense of like you know 18th century like literature yeah you know? yeah, yeah 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 the, the larger gothic, romantic perhaps yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was you know I, I I went through a passing interest in goth culture I was never goth but yeah that's a whole other story <laughs> yes yeah, Sturm und Drang you know like yeah um heightened tension and emotional yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and this was uh, Matthew Sweet. Basically, I like I picked these songs. Uh, often it was like, which song do I pick from this particular artist? Because I went through a huge Matthew Sweet phase mm-hmm. uh, where I could have like, like, where I could like name you every session musician that he worked with and like to quote you exactly the albums and tell you the story behind all of the albums and stuff like well, that well why don't you give us a little little pricey of who matthew sweet is because i am only <laughs> most dimly aware of him yeah i mean I, I, and i think even like today he's kind of he's one of those people who was like kind of a musician's musician and really respected at the time even if he was not like hugely famous uh he had mm-hmm. one big hit called girlfriend so that was kind of like the, if people know one song by him it'll be that song mm-hmm. but he was really good <laughs> it was just like it was actually you know he did this crunchy power pop which is very representative of actually like the 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 aspect of the 90s that i actually liked in music which was mm-hmm. um there was this kind of like indie pop thing happening in the background uh and again like it was not as popular as as um the alt rock thing <laughs> that was yeah. also happening that i just was not into as much um but the power pop was uh again very melodic and often had some some drama a narrative interest going on and perhaps that's why it was so into it um so matthew sweet yeah he he uh, uh he was he was a sing- singer songwriter um this particular album i think uh he was going through a divorce when he made it and often divorce albums are the best albums <laughs> yeah <laughs> seriously breakup uh, albums divorce albums absolutely mm-hmm. And there again, because uh, he okay. So the album this is off is called Altered Beast, mm-hmm. uh, and he, I I remember like I read a lot about it at the time, and he. It's named after a video game that he and the band were playing a lot while they were recording the album. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> <laughs> it was on the Sega Master System. You know it. <laughs> I know it well. <laughs> See, I have never played it, but the understanding, the way that he described it was that it was a game in which. Um, like you have to keep uh, changing yourself into these different mm. monsters, mm-hmm. uh, and it became uh, kind of a, a representative of the idea that of, of having to change yourself into something you don't really like or are mm-hmm. frightened of in order to survive, um, and that's kind of uh, the kind of an emotional theme in this album. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, again, and what I like about this album again is it, it, it's. And this sort of feel like again is a callback to the the Duran Duran thing is that there's a sense that um, it just like they just kind of like did whatever the hell they felt like. Yeah, <laughs> there's a certain imaginative freedom to it. Mm-hmm. Like he another thing that the band was doing uh, when they were recording is that they were watching. Uh, they became obsessed with the movie Caligula and they were watching oh, it wow. over and over. And so there's a chunk of like two minutes of audio right in the middle of album of the album from the movie Caligula in which Caligula declares himself a god wow. and it's just kind of like let's just like why not let's just have this in there and then there's two versions of one song because again why the hell not we felt like it so it's just sure so it just kind of you know there's this sort of sense of um 
that they just kind of they they would get ideas and they would just run at them, uh, which is really fun. Um, but yeah, and this song is like there's a lot of like Sturm and Drang in it. I love the cymbal clashes that you know come mm-hmm. in at the uh, you know on the chorus with the drums and the screaming crunchy power pop guitars. Uh, and yeah, and I think there's like uh, the, the thing with Matthew Sweet is it's it's he's like this really his work is really simple and yet uh-huh. that's very uh that can be really misleading because if you listen to it there's just this this emotional depth that comes out uh on repeated listens and he'll write this lyric that seems really you know almost almost goofy and then you know it it it, it just seems to reveal itself more and more <laughs> as, as you listen to it and i felt like that with this song like there's a what is it like uh you know it's about this this collapse of a relationship and there's a line mm. in it that's something like every word i say has a way of turning evil in you yeah <laughs> it's like it's it's very dark and it's it's yeah but it's it's he has this he has this straightforwardness that is at the same time really kind of kind of lyrical that i really mm-hmm. liked um and yeah, and just really uh, like driving melodies that stick in your head and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what was going on in your life around the time when this song was big for you? Mm. Again, this is not really um, like my friends were not into Matthew Sweet. This was just something that I, I happened upon, my, upon myself. And I can't, mm-hmm. again, I was trying to remember like how did I first hear about him? And I can't, I have no memory of that. It's just sort of like I started listening to one of his albums then I like wanted more of his albums mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of built from there um uh what was happening with me musically at the time uh or, or in general in your life were you at oh, college no yeah okay so that's a good question yeah mm-hmm. I mean I I had um I went to university in Ottawa and then I was at Queens in Kingston for my mm-hmm. master's and then I moved to I mean in the mid-90s I moved to Toronto uh mm-hmm. So that was kind of the big, that was really like the big shift. Um, yeah. And uh, I was working for, as an editor, I was working for like a couple of magazines and, and publishing houses. Uh, it took a while to kind of break into the social scene, especially since, you know, I, I sort of, I had become more socially, <laughs> it sort of like learned how to be a social person in oh, university. Sure. It was it, a much better experience than, than high school. And, good. and you know, as I sort of like emerged uh, as an adult, um, and yeah. started to well, learn how to do that's what university things. is for right yeah exactly like you find your people and and mm-hmm. it was it was honestly pretty good um uh and then uh but toronto is like as as you may have heard and as perhaps you found yourself can can mm-hmm. be hard to break into when you move here yeah um in terms of finding a social circle and again this was before social media and before the internet i don't know how we did anything yeah. <laughs> so, just, so you couldn't just like go on facebook and find uh a group of people who were like matthew sweet fans or something mm-hmm. <laughs> like meet people that way uh so it took me a while to find a crew actually this is this is kind of a funny story mm-hmm. <laughs> um that the first social group that i wound up hanging out with when i moved to toronto was um i went uh i went out to dinner with a woman that i'd met in grad school and didn't know that well and i met her brother and he worked for ibm and it turned out there was this huge crew of ibm employees this is the late 90s and again this is like such a 90s thing uh this big crew of it ibm employees who would get together 
on a regular basis, like once a month, and do a uh, goth pub crawl through the goth bars of Queen Street West. <laughs> and as Wonderful. soon as I heard this, I was like, dude, I am so there. Like, <laughs> like, like count me in. Uh, and so I met a bunch of people through this. I went, like, like, I went on these pub crawls like every every month and kind of got this window into the like the goth bars of Toronto in the late 90s and also started hanging around with these uh, nerds who were into, you know, uh, sci-fi movies and video games yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so that was kind of like my my, my social scene for a while do um, we even have goth bars anymore some of them still exist the sanctuary vampire sex club is now a starbucks oh uh, <laughs> well there you go the velvet underground is still there but i don't think it's mm. goth anymore apparently drake made a surprise appearance there a couple weeks ago and <laughs> um i think think the bovine sex club is still there uh i think it's still has the same like crazy front uh it's the one with like a lot of tangled bicycle oh, parts okay. attached to the front yeah. Th- yeah yeah i think it's still there i don't know how goth mm. it is anymore. they might have a goth night it or was something. never i don't know it was never super yeah. goth uh and there were yeah there were a few there was savage garden which i don't <laughs> think is there anymore <laughs> they had to change their name after after the late yeah, 90s exactly <laughs> There's a lot of like nine inch nails and Marilyn Manson floating around and I wasn't actually into that stuff that much. It's interesting because thematically (laughs) this Matthew Sweet song Mm -hmm. totally has a lot in kin with a nine inch nail song. But like mm. <laughs> in terms of production and performance and vocal yeah. style, like he's a, yeah. In the way the mm-hmm. band dressed. Well, know? yeah, all those other sort of cultural <laughs> signifiers that sort of accrue around exactly. a musician. the trappings. I mean, like, but even even the way he sings, like he has a very pretty voice. I guess Trent Reznor has a pretty uh-huh. voice as well, but yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but that's interesting. So like there's there's this sort of thematic connection, but everything else is pulling in the opposite direction. Yeah, there's that. I have, That's and that is it's interesting that you bring that up because that's another thing um that 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 uh frequently um another unifying theme of music that i've yeah. often liked is music that has that very fun poppy upbeat sound and yet the lyrics are very uh-huh. dark there's a, there's a, there, yeah there's a lot of bands that are like that i also loved i mean there's all these bands that didn't sort of make it into this cut of yeah. five songs so well know? if you want if you want <laughs> like, to give some like, honorable mentions now's a good time <laughs> Oh, so many like uh, like magnetic fields who are definitely sort of in that category and also just very very dark sense yeah. of humor. Uh, Crowded House, who a lot of people don't really think of as as a band with dark lyrics, but if you actually listen to what they're saying, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some of that going on. I was really big into Crowded awesome. House as well. They were my other like favorite mm. '80s band. Let's move on to your next selection, uh, which represents your sort of late twenties and your th- like early mid thirties. Yeah, in my your thirties, yeah. let's say, mm-hmm. and it's Andrew mm-hmm. Bird fake palindrome she's got an old death kid she's been meaning to you she's got blood in her eyes in her eyes for you she's got blood in her eyes for you sudden facts stops and plaques all right so Tell us a little bit about Andrew Bird, because he is the sort of person Yay, who I have heard the name, and like his, it'll come up on like sort of lists, like best songs of the two thousands or or what have you. But uh, I'm not at all really familiar mm-hmm. with him. Andrew Bird might be my all time favorite, honestly. <laughs> and I do have a really funny story about how I I discovered mm-hmm. Andrew Bird, um, which is uh, like in my mid uh, in like the mid. No, it was two thousand and four. In two thousand and four, uh, I went through this. 
I will get into the details because it's long and complicated and mm-hmm. confusing, but <laughs> basically this uh, relationship, not a relationship, but mm-hmm. friendship with someone that I was very mm-hmm. close to collapsed really oh. badly. Uh, I found out this person had been lying to me for a really mm-hmm. long time and it was just, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty shattering to me. It was something that like took me a long time mm-hmm. to get over. Um but so this happened in 2004 and like a month after the schism, uh, there was this magnetic fields concert and I knew this person was also going to be there and I was kind of like, but I still wanted to go. Um, so I remember I went and I stood in line and the concert was in a church. It was in the, the space on Bloor Street where they have, that's uh, a church, but also a community center uh, in the annex uh, near like Spadina. Anyway, um so, and I met my friend, uh, Peter McPhee in line. And so we were hanging out and he, he, you know, came in and sat with me. Um, but yeah, so we're in this church sitting at a pew and we got seats really close to the front and I look around and I see my ex friend. I can actually see him sitting <laughs> higher up, like in the, in the, the elevated oh. seats over to the side and I'm trying to hold yeah. it together. And I like, haven't slept in a long time and I'm just really, really in a lot of emotional mm-hmm. turmoil and we're sitting there and um and people are still finding their seats and whatnot and i think there's still like natural light in the room or something and this dude wanders out onto stage onto the stage and he is in his sock feet and he's very thin and he's carrying a violin uh and he walks up to the microphone and he starts to perform and he does this thing where he like will play the violin for a little bit and like lay down a track and then it's looping and he has the reason he's barefoot is or not barefoot in sock feet is that he has this these this looping pedal on the ground and he's controlling it with his foot uh so he'll like set up this layer of violin loops and he's also whistling and he's also singing and i just really have this strong memory of sitting there looking at him and like even through this like emotional turmoil where i'm barely cognizant of my surroundings i'm nudging peter and like peter who is this guy he's really good is he local and peter was like no i think he's from i think he's from chicago and i was like he's really really good <laughs> uh and so and that was andrew bird and so that like did he, despite my fog yeah. i kind of registered that i've never seen anything like this i'm really impressed um and so and it, but it wasn't until like three years later uh i was helping another friend uh declutter because he was moving and he had a copy of the swimming hour which is um late 90s andrew bird album and he was like i'm not into this he's he only listens to it's my friend austin who basically only listens to divas he was like i'm really not into this you can have it like i took it home and i was like this album is is amazing i love it uh and then i got um the mysterious production of eggs (laughs) which is the one that fake palindromes is, is from and i just was completely again my mind was completely blown (laughs) i just really really loved it um and went through this whole andrew bird phase where i like knew all the albums got all the albums got like (laughs) all of the bootleg recordings that were available online and just you know was like trolling for as much stuff by him that as i could find you would have had access to the internet which is a really great resource for tracking down (laughs) musicians who aren't sort of on the radio yeah definitely yeah definitely like this was definitely a step up from you know vinyl records in terms of actually being able to find (laughs) the music that you wanted absolutely that's great I, uh, mm-hmm. That's that's a wonderful story about how um, 
you saw him open for the magnetic fields and like Mm -hmm, even though mm -hmm. he was an unknown quality to you it was able to sort of cut through this sort of emotional uh distraction of like the aftermath of a traumatic sort of experience so like (laughs) yeah um so i'm just wondering uh (laughs) but it was a few years before you sort of actually sort of got picked up that thread Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. what was it why the gap (laughs) Uh, partly because I was just like going well, through some fair, stuff as a result fair. of that whole. <laughs> so it, it cut through your sort of emotional sort of miasma, but it wasn't sort of like a like a, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to this and it's gonna get me through this trouble. It wasn't like that. It was no. No, I had to come back okay. to it later. It was kind of it kind of planted a seed, and I was like, man, note yeah. to self, need to look this guy up. But, <laughs> but it took yeah, me I was a while. Gonna keep the seed, and in a couple of years' time, when yeah. the soil is no longer poison, it can grow. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> good. Much. Good. I'm glad. Um, mm-hmm. Great. Uh, well, uh, I'm just trying to relate this song to the ones that came before it. It, it too is really strongly melodic. Mm-hmm. It seems mm-hmm. um, we're going from a song that's in a language that you did not understand at the time. I don't know if you understand Spanish now, but let's say when you were listening to it, no, yeah, you, you, okay, it's in a language <laughs> that you don't understand. Okay, so we we went from mm-hmm. a, a song that's in a language you don't understand to a song that has um, the Duran Duran song doesn't have simple lyrics, but they're not particularly meaningful lyrics. Yeah. No, no. Again, it was yeah, sort and, of, yeah. and and then this song yeah. makes no sense. Is the through line <laughs> the, here? The Matthew Sweet song <laughs> from yeah, the Duran Matthew Sweet song totally makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's not simple, but I mean, it is it is a little bit melodramatic, you know, what have you. I, I feel like the Andrew Bird song is like basically my point here is that it seems there's an increasing level of lyrical complexity at each stage. Is that something you think that's fair to say, hmm. or is that re- representative of how your taste evolved? That you were going for more lyrical complexity, or is that just something that's happenstance in terms of the selections you made? I think it's kind of happenstance, but you might be right in the sense that it's, you know, for something to actually catch my interest, it needs to have a little bit more complexity at this stage in my life. Um, Yeah, I mean, this song, uh, Bird has talked about it again, like uh, I did a lot of obsessive reading Mm -hmm. of interviews and whatnot. And and the reason it's called Fake Palindromes is he was touring a lot solo and just like spending a lot of time driving alone. And he would, you know, make up songs and sort of like play word games with himself and he started trying to he said uh the, the palindromes like when you when you when you mm-hmm. think of palindromes the ones that sort of get collected in 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 books of jokes or, or wordplay or what have you they're sort of they don't really make a yeah. lot of sense like you'll get a you know a sentence that makes that it reads the same forward and backwards and for it to do that you know the 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 meaning of the the, the language actually goes out the window and he was like i was trying to make up Phrases that sounded like palindromes were not actually palindromes, and that's why it's called fake palindromes. Great, so um, it's like a poetic exercise. Yeah, exactly. It's like this this um, word game, uh, almost language poetry. I, I sort of maybe a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing that he was that he was just doing. And yeah, and there was so I was I mean I was listening to the song again, and I remember you know it really grabbed me because again. Um, there's a there's this sort of euphoric emotional register to mm-hmm. the music. It starts with this like swirling dramatic uh, violin thing that it charges into, and then it quiets down, and then you get this strange lyric. And so again, again with the lyric, you have this sense of a narrative that almost makes sense, but yeah. <laughs> but, but not quite. And and then you have but it's but it's kind of dark and creepy, and then it's superimposed on this on this really happy, <laughs> like really joyful kind of 
melodic mm-hmm. bass, which is yeah. interesting. Uh, and I think what I like about that is, is, is again, and this sort of like links back to what I was saying about the Matthew Sweet, is there's this sense of imaginative freedom. There's a sense of just not being constrained by a need to make sense <laughs> or, or follow a formula or mm-hmm. anything. It's just like, it's just like tearing off and making stuff up. Um, <clears throat> and I was thinking, you know, I think that's uh, like, what is this song so happy about? I think it's just happy about its own creative yeah. energy, <laughs> its, own, its own total freedom from necessarily having to make any kind of logical sense. Yeah. So you're still into Andrew Bird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, uh-huh. is, mm-hmm. And um, he's uh, he's an artist who um, inspires this kind of fascination in a lot of like other artists and a lot of writers. A lot of writers get like fiction writers get really into Andrew Bird. And I think it was I can't remember. I was, I was going to look this up before and I can't remember. I think it's Jeffrey Brown did a, a graphic novel all about his fixation <laughs> with Andrew Bird. <laughs> And there was, you know, I've seen like think pieces by people who about, you know, how how I focused on this one Andrew Bird song and it got me through a difficult time in my life or whatever. He does seem to inspire this kind of really intense fandom. Um, and part of it is that uh, his work really rewards uh, obsession in the sense that he'll take one, he'll write a song and then he'll record like eight different Uh, versions of it and all of those versions are mm. different and it's really interesting how they're different because you can kind of like track this creative process that he's going through well he'll he'll like take the song and he'll break it down and record it in a different key or something (laughs) that had been like uh, a bridge suddenly becomes the main melody and Mm -hmm. the you know the other melody gets pushed back or it'll be a different just a completely different different arrangement with different instruments um but then these these keep seeing these themes repeating or the you know the lyrics will uh, become simpler or or more complex, and so you you know every time like he does something new, like there's a reason to listen to it because it's like a progression. It's like another uh, he's building on something that you have heard before. So it's total bait for completionists. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, when you saw him live first, he was using the the looping pedal to sort of construct songs mm-hmm. from the ground up. Um, is mm-hmm. that at all um, something that you know uh, everything else that we've had so far? Well, I guess the Pete Seeger track was live, but it is basically a folk song, so mm-hmm. it's very straightforward. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the Duran Duran and the Matthew Sweet are, are these sort of productions that sort of land oh, in yeah, your ear, sort of fully formed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Was it at all meaningful or interesting to sort of experience a song being constructed from the ground up? You could sort of see him laying the bricks as he sort of constructed it in front of you. Was that was that a new oh, yeah. thing? Did that make you think about how songs are as sort of structures or creations in a different way? Uh, like maybe not mm-hmm. right away, but as I, as I listened to him more and more, yeah, I think I sort of thought about that. It made me think about that more. I, I mean, I don't, I, this hasn't really come up. I have no musical, again, my, my parents had no interest in music. So they didn't put you in piano lessons. <laughs> I have no musical education. I don't know anything about music. Like this is, you know, you're, 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 it's, it's kind of funny that I'm, that we're mm-hmm. having these conversations because it's not, uh, I have no talent in and no technical understanding of music. Mm. Uh, it's interesting to me, but I just don't, yeah. <laughs> it's not something I ever, I've ever studied. So I can't really, you know, I can't tell you, um, and I can't really like articulate what is mm. interesting. About, That's fine. <laughs> about, or, or, or exactly what Andrew Bird is doing when he, you know, re-records mm-hmm. a song and it, it sounds the same and yet completely different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. It is really. 
a mesmerizing thing to see him perform, especially perform solo. I mean, he, he usually tours with a band and, and they're great, but it's really interesting to see him just, you know, come out with a looping pedal and start build. Yeah. Like he said, building this thing up um, and layering it because there's a real precision mm-hmm. in his work and, you know, it's just everything, all these parts start to, you know, link together. There's a precision and there's also a looseness because he does also really, he's sort of um, improvising sure. in terms of how the, I think like the way that one loop turns out will kind of seems to seems to influence you know what the next loop is that he does and and so forth so it really is it's just fascinating to watch (laughs) Mm -hmm. but again it is also very melodic and 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 emotional it has that kind of juice going on that I like (laughs) I I, I did intend to ask you when we were starting off whether your house was musical Mm -hmm. and if you had music lessons or were you yourself musical but it didn't come up and it didn't (laughs) seem pertinent to the conversation at the time but Mm -hmm. I mean you know uh you can music is kind of for everyone right it's it's the democratic Mm -hmm. art form Mm -hmm. like um Mm -hmm. you don't Mm -hmm. you don't need to have um a technical uh, understanding of what's going on uh to Mm -hmm. sort of have an important sort of emotional and intellectual relationship with the songs that you love so I th- I th- yeah, I think so too. And I mean, I, I think there are times when I would, you know, like to have a better understanding of maybe what's happening with the chords in mm-hmm. this song, or <laughs> if there's if there is something being referenced that I don't know. But on the other hand, that comes back to I have always liked music, and I think um, creative work in general that I don't completely understand yeah. because then it does it does preserve this kind of aspect mm-hmm. of mystery. So the next track you selected, which sort of represents your now. I guess, or or the last mm-hmm. few years of your life, is um I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce it correctly. Always like, I think it's just okay. always. I think oh, they just like spell it that way. Stylized. So that the first thing that comes up when you it's Google an them, act- yeah. it's an actual V V, but it's meant to be a W. Yes. Oh, I see. So yeah, that, yeah. that it's uh-huh. Googleable. Well, there you go. The digital age. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And the song is called "Atop a Cake." You were mentioning that there's a lot of material alighted between the Andrew Bird and this one. What did you mean by that? Yeah, well, because, um, because yeah, between between Andrew Bird and here, uh, a lot of stuff happened. I also like I went through another big phase where I was really into the uh-huh. National, which is a very polarizing band, but I really yeah. like them. <laughs> the three albums, uh, Boxer, Alligator, and High Violet, basically got me through grad school. <laughs> that was how I survived. Um, and also, you know, and this is this is also something that I was thinking of um, when I was trying to compile this list is that I was looking at it and being like, D- man, there's a lot of white dudes on this list. I am, I am aware of that. This is actually <laughs> a thought I had. It's like, oh, female voice finally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and that's sort of, I mean, when, again, when I was a kid, I had very little control over what I was listening to. Uh, when I was a teenager, there was, you know, it was... 
it was definitely a heterosexual thing. Mm. <laughs> it was, you know, I was interested in Duran Duran because they were dudes. Um, and there may have been, I mean, there's like, there wasn't with the, with the Matthew Sweet and the Andrew Britt thing that was, uh, you know, it was, it was the music that I was interested yeah. in. I was not like crushing out on them anymore. I was not, it was like in my twenties mm-hmm. and thirties, but um, I don't know. There's, they're, they're, I think it's because I connect to music so emotionally, mm-hmm. it might be, uh, there's there's like a certain romantic subtext sure. or something and just like the the emotional response that i have to things but it's also that um again it was a long time before uh i had more control over um what music i had mm-hmm. access to and what music i was actually able to hear and you know it was it was like i feel like it was the 2000s before i could really start like poking around and finding music for myself um and so and you know and the, yeah there's a lot of people who didn't quite make the cut because they were a little bit too far back in time, but like Janelle Monet definitely. Oh yeah. That's, that's <laughs> two know? for two. Janelle Monet has come up as being a, a, an almost for this last category. She needs to put out a new album so people can mention her. Go on. <laughs> that's right. Well, okay. But see, this is the thing because what actually comes yeah. up here, uh, the, the kind of uh, interesting point about the now is that I haven't really heard, I mean, I haven't heard an artist that really grabbed me in that way. And a pretty long time and uh i was like i was thinking janelle monet but that was still like the last decade like that was not this decade that i kind of discovered her um and i think something has this is i feel like such a like uh luddite old person but <laughs> <laughs> i think it's because i no longer understand how i'm supposed to buy and listen mm, to music mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I sort of, it's kind of i've kind of lost track of that uh, <laughs> nobody buys cds no. anymore i don't really want to like do people buy downloads? People are just mm. listening to Spotify. Maybe I should uh, get Spotify. I, I, I will know. say that I have, like, I we have a Spotify subscription, and they generate a weekly um, Discover playlist, which is based on songs that you mm-hmm. have not listened to, but that their computers think that you will like based on what you do listen to. And every week, I'm discovering there's there's about thirty tracks on each playlist, and every week there's three or four keepers. So um, Spotify mm-hmm. has like reawakened my ability to discover new music as someone who's getting a little bit old. So I think I should probably just do mm. that or something like that because yeah it's i feel like it's been a long time also um up until the beginning of this decade i was uh for many years commuting to york university i was a, a mm-hmm. grad student uh in philosophy at york so for um, people who aren't aware and, um you were living in downtown toronto and and york is way out in like the suburbs so york is like an hour yeah. away by mostly mm-hmm. by subway subway and then there's a connecting bus which sometime when we're all dead will be replaced yeah. by a subway finally apparently like, the subway's been built but it's you know it's there so yeah. well toronto we can't have nice things go on <laughs> anyway so but the, what this meant was that um i would listen to music like for two hours every day yeah <laughs> and that was that was great and uh so Part of what happened was I stopped listening to music for two hours every day in this, in this focused way because I wasn't on the subway anymore. Uh, well, not every day, like three mm-hmm. times a week because I wasn't, I wasn't on campus every day, but regularly. Um, and so there aren't as many contexts where I just am listening yeah, yeah. to music. Like I've tried to sort of make more of a point of listening to it when I'm, I'm washing my dishes or something like that. Uh, but the other, so there isn't as much focused listening to music time anymore. Uh, I don't buy CDs anymore. Um and there, yeah, I feel like I've I've grown really disconnected from the musical culture over the last few years. Like I I I miss it. <laughs> do, do you go out to live shows at all? No, and every time, every now and then I do, and then I'm like, why don't I go out to more live shows? Live shows are still mm-hmm. awesome. You know? <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so that is something I'd like to change. And I, just, I picked always because um, that's sort of like that's an album that I think I just I think I picked up up this year. So it is now, and uh, just really liked it right away. And the the particular track that you picked was kind of a standout for me. It was just really earwormy. I just glommed onto it right away. And they also do. Uh, they've actually like I read an interview with them, and and their songwriter name checks Magnetic Fields as someone who you know who, another band that came up earlier who i was also really into who didn't make the cut um but that she you know she likes these sort of poppy songs with darkly sort of mordantly funny dark emotionally dark lyrics yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, so it's it's my cup of tea and i like it but i haven't yeah i haven't sort of been blown away since janelle monet i think was like the last time i haven't sort of found a, a performer that i really kind of wanted to hear all of their albums <laughs> wanted to listen to listen to them a lot I, I feel like we're damning always with faint praise here so let's turn the spotlight on them a little bit mm-hmm. so um you picked up the album mm-hmm. this year and, and you really liked it because mm-hmm. it's sort of it it fits your tastes as we've sort of established yeah. it to now mm-hmm. it's it's strongly melodic um with uh some lyrical complexity and depth and darkness to it so it has that sort mm-hmm. of um sweet and spicy i guess i don't know the combination yeah, of contrasting yeah. uh-huh. flavors let's let's say that um uh but like have you have you gone deep into the band at all um have you listened to more than that album do they have more than one album um they don't they're about to go okay. out with another one uh which i am really looking Great. forward to it's like yeah let's let's build up a discography yeah. here that i can get into but <laughs> where, where are they based i believe they're here in toronto but their oh, lead great. singer their lead singer is a member of the rankin family what uh, yeah <laughs> huh. okay so we'll have to explain to listeners who might not be aware the rankin family are like a giant familial folk music collective from mm-hmm. i believe cape breton mm-hmm. um and they're they're sort of a, a mainstay of sort of canadian culture a lot of fiddles Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of public <laughs> television appearances, uh, you know, uh, that's crazy. So, yeah, so I mean, we're going of... back to folk at the end of this discussion. <laughs> Go on. That's right. And yeah, I think it's it's kind of cool that she kind of broke away stil- stylistically from, mm-hmm. you know, her, her family heritage, but is still still maintains this, um, yeah, this melodic, catchy, <laughs> approachable yeah. quality, but just in a very different in a very different vein, in a different genre. Well, uh, I mean, um, that, that, is, that is what folk has to offer to pop mm-hmm. and how pop songs are yeah. kind of the folk songs of our day in that folk songs have to be memorable and melodic and easy to learn and easy to sing and, and, and transmissible, basically. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the whole idea. And a really good pop song has all of those qualities as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so exactly. I, I totally see how, how those things, there's a commonality there. And I... I don't think every song you've selected could work as a folk song, but, um, you <laughs> know. Probably not the Duran Duran. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> I think the Matthew Sweet song, you could pair it right down. You could do mm. that in a, like a singer-songwriter version and it would work. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, the thing about the, the sort of lyrical complexity is you sort of think one aspect of folk is, well, I don't know, ballads can be quite long and complex. I sometimes wonder how those people hold all 17 verses in their head or what have you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> maybe right. it's I'm, an maybe oral I'm... tradition. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. You know, it's like Dante's. <laughs> you lie in a cave with a stone on your chest until you've got it all memorized. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. It's like peasants used to be recite, be able to recite all of Dante's divine comedy. Yeah, well, that's because they didn't have <laughs> smartphones. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So is there anything else about Always, a top of cake um, uh, that you'd like to add? 
Not particularly. I don't want to, I don't want to like sell them short, but I just don't, like I said, they, they're a band with one album out. I don't know that much about them. Um, uh, like this album a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, again, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I discovered this album would like to, if, you know, <laughs> if, if people want to send me recommendations of bands that they think I would like based on absolutely what they've heard so far well uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to ask you how people can sort of get in touch with you and look you up so mm-hmm. um uh, i i'm just wanted before we get to that um it, it occurs to me that if you've, you've selected this song from this newish band who only have one album their mm-hmm. next album's coming out real soon that seems quite future oriented to me yeah, so yeah. How, how do you see like your relationship with music into the future I mean, I, I hope it continues. Well, I, sure. I certainly don't. I definitely don't think that I am not someone who thinks that like the 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 period of time when I had my strongest relationship with music, which was my teens, was yeah. you know the vanguard of or or the the time when music was great and everything has been shit since. You know, it's like, like I hope it's clear that I think you know I, I think that really irritates music. me when people say that, like because <laughs> there's always been shitty music and there's yeah. always been great music and yeah. like <laughs> yeah that that four year window when you were like a teenager, yeah, of course everything peaked then, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's clear that I, I have, you know, been trying to discover new music ever since and, and have really loved a lot of stuff that's came. I think like the 2000s were also a, like just a fantastic decade for music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, agree. I still feel like the 90s were a bit of a lull. Yeah. Know, they had some bright spots. Do you know, you and I are unusual for thinking that because people <laughs> our age... Like, mm-hmm. I just always are going on about how the 90s are so awesome. And I'm like, I don't know. Well, the 2000s you know are the decade for me, man. Like, yeah. No, it's you, you know what it is? It's because everyone who was a teenager in the 1990s is now, like, hitting, kind of hitting their 30s, right? Or they're they're in their 30s. And they're they're, they're at that point where nostalgia is, because, is starting to kind of kick in. And it's like... <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe it's because we were happier at university. Because yeah. that was the case <laughs> for me right. as well. So, like, yeah. the music that was popular in 2005 mm-hmm. or so whatever, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I want. Like, <laughs> yeah, but they were, that was 2000, you know, the, the 2000s, great decade for music. And, yeah, and, like, right now, I kind of feel like maybe it is, but I'm just not hearing it. Or I'm just, yeah, yeah there's some kind of, somehow the, like, the ways, the, my, my, my connection to it has, has kind of become... Um, uh, fraught or not not fraught it has kind of deteriorated and i'm not i'm not hearing the new stuff as much anymore I'm, it's not grabbing me as much anymore but i think I, I don't think that that is a commentary on the quality of stuff that's that's being made well i mean I, i'm just thinking about how you you basically mentioned that with the loss of a major commute you sort of no longer have mm-hmm. time <laughs> or, or, or space in your life that yeah. is sort of music dedicated and yeah. how the sort of structure mm-hmm. of our lifestyle can really dedicate that because like yeah I listen to music when I'm at the gym and like mm-hmm. that is my music time which right, means that right. I'm mostly listening to very energetic aggressive music mm-hmm. nowadays which oh, is very Oh you got me into Grimes. Oh Grimes. I yes. appreciate you for Yeah, Grimes is awesome. I appreciate that. It was the other one I was trying to think of when I was talking about Janelle Monáe and that's also fairly recent so I yeah. could have talked about Grimes. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. No, thanks I'm, for that. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you brought up always because you know in the inevitable sort of 50th uh, episode sort of special when someone interviews me on this I am totally talking about Grimes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Oh man, How, what do you think of the um, Grimes and Janelle Monae collaboration? Just Have quickly. Oh man, I don't know. I, oh man, what's it called? Um, that is uh, Venus Fly. It's on Art Angels. Oh, that yeah. Yeah. Oh wait a minute. No. Okay. It, 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 has, it has a real heavy. I, I can't imitate it. <laughs> but, um, 
oh my god i'm gonna play the video for you when we get off the skype <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no i mean I've, if it's on art angels then i have heard it and for yeah. some reason it's not coming to mind i didn't realize that that was janelle Monet. Oh, that's yeah. amazing oh and they've got a video and the two uh, of them so are just cool. totally vamping for the camera the whole time so okay did you know that there is a uh duran duran featuring janelle Monet song no <laughs> yes yes because i was thinking about how when you're like thinking about the arc android and electric mm-hmm. lady and um yes how like mm-hmm. she just sees these big ambitious universe creation sort of projects and how that relates back to what you're saying about duran duran i was like yeah janelle Monet and duran duran have like this link i did not know they collaborated that's amazing yeah, I mean it's not it's it's a feature you know, I'm I'm making finger quotes now featuring so it's not like it's not really a collaboration I don't, yes. like I don't know if they were in the same room but it's still kind of like cool to have to see the two of them in a video together absolutely <laughs> and I, yeah I do th- I do think there's that connection with the the sort of world building that they that they were both engaging yeah, in yeah Nar- narrative and melody mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are the two things for you it seems yeah yeah, yeah a lot of ways absolutely uh-huh. great <laughs> all right well um. Where can people find you or get in touch with you to send music recommendations your way? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I don't have, I don't really have a, uh, and it's occurring to me that maybe I should have seen questions like this coming. <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to answer anything you don't want to answer. <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I just, I, I don't, I don't have anything prepared. Um, but uh, I was going to say, I work, I mean, I work in, um, how would I describe what I work in? Well, in uh, culture and in, um, program coordination uh communications kind of things uh i've, done, I've worked with a lot of different organizations so i'm trying to, i'm trying to put together a work uh website that will kind of round up all of the fiddly little things that i've done so they're in, in one place and people can find me and mm-hmm. see what i do yeah so I'm, I'm, once once that's done i will be able to point people so there just the, the nadia halim <laughs> central depot. yeah yeah I think I, it's just like that i believe the um the domain that i got was, is actually just nadia halim.ca so. oh great easy yeah. Mm-hmm. wonderful well um i will direct people that way um yeah, thank you very much for joining us it's been a fantastic conversation <laughs> you're welcome thank yeah. you for having me it's oh. a great idea for a uh, podcast Thank you, listener. I'll confirm that NadiaHalim.ca is indeed the place to go for all things Nadia. I'd like to thank Nadia again for joining me. My name is Michael Collins, and you can find me on Twitter at EarlKing, E-R-L-K-I-N-G. I'm always happy to hear from you. If you'd like further information on things in this episode, including a Spotify playlist and links to YouTube videos for all the songs, the show notes can be found at megaphonic.fm mixtape slash two. And that's Megaphonic spelled with a P-H. This Is Your Mixtape is a proud part of the Megaphonic Network. Thank you for joining us. See you soon. <laughs>